Let's Run Nation. It's almost time to get in shape for the summer. And we've got good news for you. The Let's Run.com summer training plan is back better than ever. We've upped it to 14 weeks. We're going to build your mileage up for 12. Come down for two. If you, if you don't have time for the final two weeks, that's fine. Sign up now. Let's Run.com slash coaching. If you're a supporting club member, it's free with your membership. We designed it for high schoolers, college kids, but adults can do it too. But hey, I know there's a lot of you that are coaches yourselves. So you have no idea what you're doing. You can sign up, steal our ideas, and give it to your own team. Do it today. Let's run.com slash coaching. Track and Field fans, we hope you are ready for an amazing podcast. 56 years and 364 days after Jim Ryan ran 358 at the Kansas State meet, Jerry Martin has run 357 at a Philadelphia district meet. Yair Nagusa's NCAA career has apparently come to an abrupt end. Did he make a mistake by not going pro early? Speaking of going pro early, a D2 star has gone pro just days before the NCAA D2 meet. Caitlin Tui has run 4.06. Mario Garcia Rommel has destroyed the collegiate record holder in the 1500 at SECs, where the sprint action was hot, hot, hot. 2022 Diamond League season has begun. All of that and more on this week's edition of the best track and field podcast in the world. Let's run.com's track talk. This Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson welcome you to the show. Joined as always by my genetic equal, Marine Corps Marathon champion, Weldon Johnson, as well as his staff writer, John Gold. Hi, Robert. Got to give you a correction there, though. That was not Gary Martin's district meet where he ran his 357 mile. It was his conference meet. There is a difference, I'm sure, for Pennsylvania high school track and field fans. So we want to be sure we're giving the most accurate information possible. I also, Robert, you got a haircut here and you've got your Cornell cross country pullover you look about 20 years younger right now is this a deliberate effort on your part wow you've been giving talking points to my wife i did get my hair cut she said wow you look so much younger she used to complain when we were first dating when i would get the i don't know if it's called the cheap barbershop like when they use the you know the one two they what size are you one two three or four when they use the machine to cut your hair versus actually cutting it with a scissors so if they use the machine, it does make me look younger. I actually like it. I think I'm going to stick with this look. Wearing the Cornell sweatshirt, acting like I'm 28, not 48. Not to say that Weldon, your identical twin, looks old. Well, you know, just more uh, more dignified, maybe, now with the, with the different haircut. Well, I'm not 48, John. I don't know how old Robert <laughs> thinks he is. <laughs> But good to be here, guys. For everyone who missed it, the Diamond League is back. We had a tremendous pro track and field meet in Doha, Qatar on Friday. We broke it down live immediately after the race. And it went to podcast to Let's Run.com supporters club members. Join today, Let's Run.com slash subscribe. You'll never miss anything that we produce. So we're not going to spend most of this podcast rehashing Doha. I think we'll 
touch on some of the big points in Doha. Talk about that a little bit more. Give a little analysis with, what, 72 hours to think about it. But I want to start with this Gary Martin thing. Don't you guys? Yeah, that is what got me really excited. I mean, that and all the conference action over the weekend. But we knew all that stuff was going to be good. I didn't know that I was going to be talking about some Pennsylvania high school conference meet uh, on the podcast this week. But when someone runs 357 in that meet, you got to give him props. It's only the fifth time that an American high schooler has broken four in a high school-only race. And Robert, good reporting here. It's only the second time it's happened without a pacemaker. Jim Ryan in 1965 at the Kansas State meet, 358-3. Gary Martin, 2022, and he runs 357-98. And there was a really cool text conversation Gary posted on Twitter afterwards between him and his coach. And it was a message he sent on Wednesday. He said, am I crazy for thinking about trying to break four PCL champs if the weather is good since the mile is first? How's the track at O'Hara? And his coach responded, the track is fast enough. There is something to be said for striking while the iron is hot. Based on Henderson yesterday, physically you are ready. Just can you mentally convince yourself to do it solo at PCLs? Can make a race day decision based on weather and how you feel about it. That's just good coaching there, you know? That's getting him excited about it, telling him, you know, it's going to be tough, but if it's something that the athlete wants to do, you guide them towards it. So congrats to Gary, and yeah, just a really cool moment, really impressive performance, and a really cool story. Yeah, I mean, one thing we've sort of been critical of the sport is somebody can go out and run a great performance anywhere doesn't have to be the Diamond League. It's one of the problems in some points with the sport. The stars aren't always competing on the biggest stage. But there's also a tremendous amount of beauty on it. Sometimes you're just shocked by stuff that happens in the sport. And for this kid to go out and do it at the conference meet, no rabbit, it's, it's just epic. And it's, you know, it makes even more impressive what Jim Ryan did. I mean, it's just nuts. But I used to hear about Jim Ryan as a kid. My dad would talk about Jim Ryan, this guy and these like cinder tracks, just going out and crushing people and doing it on his own. And Gary Stefan got that ethos. There was a great profile on him. I started reading it. It was on Diestat by Dave Devine. And I didn't realize that was about halfway through. The profile was a year old. And it talked about how Gary likes to just go out there and <laughs> run with run as hard as he can. When he first would race, he would just stay with the leaders as long as possible. And I'm like, maybe this is a new way to do it. But that sort of ethos, not being afraid to push your limits, see what you're made of, very few guys w w would just even think like, yeah, you know what, coach? Let's, let's do this at the conference meet. And I, I've seen a video. Did you guys see the video? Like, I also, with everything being streamed these days, I kind of figured there'd be a full race out there, but this one, no. Have you guys seen the video? I saw the video. I didn't see... Did you guys see a clock anywhere? I, I looked at the to the left of the finish line where the clock usually is in a high school meet, and I couldn't see it. So it took a few seconds for them to say, oh, this is 3.57, get it officially, and then the PA announcer did it. People were already getting excited about it, but 
Yeah, it reminded me a lot of my conference meet, Dual Canada League Championships 2009. I soloed a 929, my first time under 930 in the full two mile. I'm like, that, I thought that was hard. I'm like, what he, you know, <laughs> clearly not even in the same ballpark, but it, yeah, oh my God. It was, uh, it was just cool because it was like any other random high school conference meet, right? Like anyone who ran in high school would recognize that sort of scene. But to see someone run 357 in that setting, <laughs> that doesn't fit. Yeah, the, the video, someone I think starts filming on the last lap, sort of halfway through the last lap or third of the way through. Thank God they did. But that's what I was looking for, John, the exact same thing. I'm like, where's the clock? Because Gary crosses his, the line. I don't know if he just knew from the splits. Because I, th- I saw splits somewhere. It looked like it was pretty even throughout. So maybe he just knew he kept going. Or maybe there's a clock we can't see. Or maybe he can actually see the big scoreboard, you know, like with the old school sort of football clock. Maybe that was t- ticking away. I don't know what he saw, but he knew he did it. And Epic performance. And... Where is he going to college next year, guys? University of Virginia. He's one of Vinland Anna's prized recruits. Who's the coach at Virginia? Vinland Anna still got it. I mean, this is amazing. Vin started off before I was in college at Dartmouth. No scholarships. They get second at NCAs. He goes to Stanford. Hey, at Stanford, he got a full allotment of scholarships. So, of course, they went NCAA cross-country. Phil Knight brings him to Oregon. You're at Oregon. Okay. Vince starts winning everything. Track and cross country. He's had enough of coaching. Becomes the president of USATF. Brings the world championships to Eugene. So what's his sort of retirement? Or I probably really should say pre-retirement. Oh, let's go to Virginia and coach. Oh, is he out of the recruiting game? Does he not know how to do it anymore? Maybe he has to find a diamond in the rough for Virginia because these kids aren't going to know who Vin Lanana is. Well, looks like he's got the best high school miler. Wait, wait. I can't say that, but... Are you forgetting about a guy on the West Coast, Walden? Yeah. Gary has run faster than Colin Solomon. But wait, Robert, as the official person on the podcast in charge of determining whether we pump up coaches' egos too much. Was that too much ego stroking by Weldon of Vin Lanana or has he earned it through all the national championships he's won in cross-country? That's a good question. I think I've been silent on this podcast for longer than I ever have been. I let you guys make fools of yourselves. So many things to get to. That was a little bit over the top, but there was an interesting thread. Is Lanana the greatest college recruiter ever? And I've been on the message board. People have been really enjoying Lanana, the UVA men. The UVA team was terrible this year in cross country. They had some decent recruits, but they're young. And people have been enjoying bashing him on the boards. And I said, oh, guys, go ahead and bash him. He'll be on the podiums too. So I was on record saying that in the fall, even when they were down. But yeah, I thought it was a little over the top. I think there was a podcast listener like last year, a high school stud that was going to come. He wanted to commit to UVA on the podcast. I forgot to get back to him. I apologize. If you're listening, please get back to me. I think he's already transferred out. It looks like they have one freshman star who's leaving. So not everyone's run amazing there. But um, maybe off of that. But no, they've got – they're going to be good soon. They've, someone look at their times right here. I think they've got like a 339 guy, a 1330 guy. They're going to be getting Gary. It's going to be good. But I'm surprised – I'm just – can we just take a step back? I'm so happy that John enjoyed this performance because John is the one who seems to believe 
that if a track meet is not broadcast live on the internet, it doesn't count. So John's enjoying that this wasn't broadcast live. I do think Gary made a tactical mistake. He should have at least tipped off mom and dad, like, hey, I'm going to break four. Can you, can you film the whole thing and teach people about landscape mode versus portrait mode to get the camera right? I've seen two shots of this race. None of them are very good. But that's what makes it so cool is, I mean, you've got guys, people are calling him old school because no rabbits, no altitude training. Nowadays, if you don't have a private coach in altitude training, you're considered old school. But he does generally run his high school meet. So I had seen that he'd run that four flat point nine seven like a month ago. So when he was running pin relays, I was into it. I started a thread about it. I was very impressed. 401 flat into the wind. And I guess we should have anticipated this trying again. But um, I actually did look. He did run one race against the pros this year indoors. Looks like he ran Melrose or something at the armory. He ran 405. So just a cool story. Um, but a few questions here. First of all, you guys realize that the Jim Ryan state meet performance center track, and that's that iconic photo. We have to put a link to that in the show notes. One of the greatest track and field photos in history. We should probably make a t-shirt with that photo if we're allowed to, but you know, Weldon kind of hinted at it. Uh, That's the questions I have. Weldon wants to know. Who's the best miler in the U.S. right now at the high school level? Is it Gary Martin? Is it Colin Solomon? The question, and I also want to ask, where do you rank this on the all-time high school performance list? John Kellogg and I have spent a lot of time talking about that, thinking about it. So let's go there first. In terms of absolute best performances at the high school ranks, in terms of track, it has to be Hobbs Kessler is the best. 334-1500 is the fastest. It's better than Alan Webb's 353 in the mile. Um, Wait a minute. Didn't you write some think piece last year after this race saying that Hobbs Kessler's 334 wasn't as impressive because you didn't have the super spikes? Like, I think these things need to be taken in context. If we're just going by absolute fastest times, we already have that list. We don't need to have a discussion about it, Robert. Correct. Well, I'm not saying it's the most impressive. I'm just saying the fastest. Here's the list of, of the fastest times in high school history. John Kellogg has converted 1500, 1500s to miles, etc. You've got Hobbs Kessler, 334. You've got Alan Webb's 353 mile. Then you've got Lucas Verbicus, 829, two mile. Galen Rupp's 1337, um, 5,000. Rudy Chapa's uh, 20, that convert, John, uh, 2832,000 meters. That's the order that John Kellogg has, you know, these marks in terms of best sort of absolute performance. Now, obviously, a 334 in the super shoes is not the same thing as Jim Ryan. I mean, Jim Ryan running 355 in the mile, beating the Olympic champion in high school, Peter Snell. That's probably, I think, the most impressive thing that a high schooler has ever done. And I would obviously argue Alan Webb's 353 mile is much more impressive and Hobbs Kessler 334, the time, the era, the no super shoes, getting doing well at the pre classic. I mean, Al Webb finished higher in the pre classic, right? Than Hobbs Kessler did in that race last year. I think they were both fifth in those their races. But the way I would weigh it is this I think probably probably Ryan won with his three fifty five. He beat Peter Snell in the race he ran three fifty five, Robert, is that right? Yes. 
Yeah, then I put that one, I put Web 2, I put Kessler 3, and then I put Gary Martin Solo 357 number 4. In terms of just my mile 1500 accomplishments. So, super impressive. Now, getting to the second question. Um, and I hope that we see this. I, I, I've been asking him for this on the message board all year. I want the top milers in the country to race each other at one point in high school once this year. I want to see Colin Salmon. I want to see Gary Martin. Um, I want to see the kid in Florida. Uh, Reinhardt Harrison? Is that who you're talking y- about? Yes, Reinhardt Harrison. I think there's a couple other people that are all doing pretty damn well. Well, I think the the answer here, assuming they would all be willing to con- extend their seasons that long, would be the U.S. Under-20 Championships, June 23rd to 25th in Eugene. They run concurrently with the U.S. Senior Championships because... We know Colin Solomon's running the pre-classic Bowman Mile. I don't think they're going to put two high schoolers in that race. So it's probably not going to happen there. They came out with the entries to the Brooks PR Invitational. I don't think they're running the same event, Gary and Solomon, in that one. So What are they, what are they running there? That's uh, where I, need, I, I guess I should... Should we pause the podcast here and I can actually look this up instead of just wildly speculating on some message board thread title I saw? Well, while you look that up, John... They both could run pre. And Robert, do you want it in a high school meet or you want them with the pros? Gary has high school duties the week in the pre. He can't run pre. So private schoolers in Pennsylvania, I guess. I don't even know how it works. I guess they can, there's a state meet and everything for them. Okay. So I've done the research here. The Brooks PR Invitational, it's June 15th in Seattle. Currently, Colin Salma has entered in the 800 and Gary Martin is in the mile. So... I think you could logically say just have Salmon shift to the mile and race each other there. Or if they want to race again uh, at USA Under-20 Championships in the 1500, do it there. But yes, I think everyone would love to see this happen. It would be a great matchup. How many times have we seen two sub-four milers, high school milers, square off in the same race as high schoolers? Kind of been... Has it ever happened? I think it would be pretty epic if we get a 357 high schooler and a 358 high schooler, especially if there's a U.S. title on the line. So you're calling a Brooks PR meet as a U.S. title, John? Oh, I'm, I was saying U.S. under-20 champs. I mean, either one. I'm fine. If they race at Brooks PR, fine. Like, just some sort of showdown to sort of say, hey, this is we're going to crown the best high school miler this year. And I want to see these performances at 800, too. I want to see Cade Flat. I want to see Will Sumner, whatever. Yeah, I, I think, but I, I kind of see Solomon probably thinks I'm top dog. I'm going to run 353 pre. Why do I need to even bother with this Gary Martin joker? So Gary has to state meet the weekend of pre. I, I, I like the fact that he's doing the high school season. And, you know, so we'll have more along the lines. I mean, it's just different, the two approaches, right? Newberry Park has been so established. They're, I don't know what the, what, what, what the word is, but like the team is, it's at the very least almost like a college program. They've been at such a high standard for such a long time. The expectations are like, look, you're trying to break high school records. You're trying to be the fastest guy in the country. Whereas Gary Martin, you know, his buddies convinced him to go out for track and he was going to play soccer and I think baseball or something his freshman year. Just completely different sort of formats. But 
I'm, I think this performance is all obviously cooler. I think it's more impressive than Colin Solomon's performance. But I'm not convinced he'd be Colin Solomon in a race. I'll say that much. I mean, Solomon's got close so fabulous at that indoor race at, at Milrose. It's sort of it almost it comes down to like, could this be a Cooper tier Cole Hawker situation? Where, you know, I don't, do I need to explain it? Tier, tier is your Martin and Hawker is your Solomon. I, I think you've got the wrong analogy here, Weldon. It's Roger Bannister and John Landy. Solomon was the first guy under. He's Bannister. He's got the kick. Gary Martin then, a few weeks later, runs even faster than Bannister, 357. But then they race in the Empire Games that summer in Vancouver, and Bannister gets the win due to his superior kick. So I don't know if that's exactly going to play out. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen Gary Martin race enough to really know his strength or weaknesses, but I feel like that could be the analogy here. John, that's why we hire you. That was amazing. I think you're right. Look, when you get to who's going to win the mile, I really wish it was Gary Martin. I, I've been trying to hype up this having someone else like get Rod and Hunter Harris in there because I want to see the Newbury Park boys get beat just for some reason. I'm just tired of the hype. So, but I don't think it's going to be Gary Martin. I think it's Colin Solomon. The kids, the best in the country, in cross country, the best endurance. He smoked Gary Martin at the, um, how much did he beat him by at the uh, running lane championships? Gary was like 15th place or something like that. I think he was like about 20 seconds back. And then he's faster at 800. He's a 147 guy, right? Or is it, am I exaggerating? He's a 148. Gary's won 149. So when you watch Gary, he's just very even. Now, we haven't seen Gary in a pace race. Maybe he could throw it down, but I'm definitely giving the edge to, to Solomon. This kind of reminds me of, like, John, if we're going to do another analogy, Othang Mo and Ajay Wilson. Oh, just because, you know, we're now having doubts about Solomon because somebody technically beat him and ran faster? No, 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 no. I, I think, to me, Solomon deserves the edge here you know, and, and handicapping this right now. So that would be an easy pick for me. I hope that I'm wrong, but you know, some people on the message board, again, I was saying people are sort of, we're enjoying Vinland Anik having to eat crow in the fall. So the coaching threads are always the meanest. There's a lot of jealous high school coaches out there as well. And they're enjoying the downfall of Newberry park. So the downfall of Newberry downfall. park. What are you talking <laughs> didn't, about? Didn't they just have a kid run thirteen forty three for five k, and another one run three thirty nine for fifteen hundred? <laughs> you got you guys aren't in the coaching thread. You aren't in the coming from the coaching world. There's a thread about Newberry Park gets its peak perfectly. I thought it was like wow, they're praising Brusson. No, 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 no. They had a very bad district. You guys aren't aware of this fact. So here's the post. Not making this up, folks. Um, I think it was posted by S. BPK2. Uh, Lex and Colin are no longer on the Newbury Park team, according to this person, because they're not running the state meets, so they're only running pro meets. Lex and Colin aren't running the meets. Leo Young, I think, is out for the season with some sort of illness or injury. So, But the actual team was completed has bombed the last couple weeks. You had a 902 guy running 934, an 852 guy running 917. A 10.29 girl running a minute slower. And that's just a sampling. Going backwards is a very kind way of describing it. So there you have it, folks. People think they've got the peak wrong. 
what does that mean for Solomon and whatever? This actually was an interesting thread to me. Like it gets into like, what is your job as a coach? Is it to coach everybody up and have them never overtrain? Or are you trying to get them to a certain performance? Because, you know, if you work out with people who are better than you, you might overdo it and then you might go really high, but then not sustain it or whatnot. But on this same thread, somebody replied to this. They didn't like this at all. I wonder if this is welded under a fake name. This is an interesting thing. What do you guys think of this statement? Newberry Park is the greatest distance squad ever assembled by far. I assume they mean high school. Now listen to this line. Their XC team is the greatest high school team in any sport ever. True or false? I don't know enough about other sports, but I could see that being true. Like, has any other high school team ever had, like, two of the all-time greats? Potentially three, if... Two? Four? Well, Aaron Solomon... I wouldn't call Aaron Solomon an all-time great runner, high school runner, Robert. He's got the potential, but, like, Lex and Colin have both run, like, all-time great high school performances. And I guess if you count Leo, you know, his runner-up finish, the, how fast he ran in that course, you could put him up there too. But yeah, I think, I don't think that's a crazy pl- claim to make. Like they went one, two, three on the country at nationals. How many other high school teams have ever had the three best athletes in their sport on the same team, two of which are all-time greats and maybe more? I, I don't think that's an outrageous claim. This is nuts, John, because I agree with you. When I first heard Robert say it, I'm like, that's stupid. They're not the best high school team ever. And then I started thinking about it, like, wait, they probably have like four of the top 20 runners for sure in the country on the same team. So imagine some basketball team, like you're starting five, you have four of the top 20 players in the country. There's no way that's ever happened in high school. So I, I, what, I wouldn't say there's no way that's ever happened because with some of these like Oak Hill Academy teams, there's the NBA talent factories where you come in for like a fifth year or something. I actually could see that happening. So I have to study back and see if like DeMartha Catholic or Oak Hill have one year where they had like three lo- future lottery picks or something. But I don't know. I, it's hard to imagine any team topping uh, what Newbury Park's done. That's a bit different. I mean, a fair comparison. Those are high school teams. They're competing. But they're like super teams. Newberry Park is a public high school in California. They can't give scholarships. Now, people clearly move in there to run. So m- maybe the analogy is not perfect, but I don't know. These super basketball academies or some IMG academy or something. I'm, I, don't, I almost don't want to count, count that. It's, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Well, what about whatever whatever school the did the Williams sisters play high school tennis? I don't think they did, but if you had those two on the same team, that might automatically just be the best high school team ever. John, no, the Williams sisters, Robert's claim to fame, first job out of college, he's the marketing guy for the what was the supermarket chain, Robert? The IGA Super Thrift Tennis Classic in Oklahoma City. Yeah, Robert's buddy was Venus and Serena. I mean, they may not remember who he was, but like. Serena came as like a 13-year-old to play the tournament. It was like her second tournament ever. Venus was the star. They did the supermarket shopping splurge support IGA. I think also Robert put Venus to work. No, Serena to work, right? You made her be your unpaid intern? Correct. She wanted to. She was kind of bored. She sat in the back and asked if she could interview players. By the way, Serena, if you're listening to the podcast, there's a lot of meets coming up in Eugene and 
I'm not sure if we want to go to like all four of them back to back to back. So we need someone to maybe do some interviews for us. So we'd love to have you talk to the track stars, YouTube them for us. We'll text you the questions. If you're not sure what to ask them, be lots of fun. Or if you're a college or high school journalism that might be able to get to Eugene, shoot me an email, Robert at let's run.com or call us at 844-538-7786, 844-538-7786. Need some stringers out there in Eugene folks. Robert, tennis doesn't last forever. Serena's got to start planning for that post-tennis life. Jenny Simpson broadcasted at Drake this year. Saw she's taking some classes at Harvard. Can't just wait until you wake up and can't swing the racket anymore. I mean, what's what's Serena going to do for money these days? I think she'll figure something out just fine. By next week, maybe by Friday on the Friday 15 bonus podcast, I will have confirmed if New Bray Park is the greatest team ever because I'm on a website called stadiumtalk.com. They have a list of the 75 greatest high school basketball teams, but you have to scroll down one at a time. It's taking me like hours. I'm only at number 67 right now. Yeah, so. I think we need to move on past the high school topic. We've already spent plenty of time on this pod talking about high schoolers. Though I do have one final point, Robert. Salmon has two syllables, not three. It's Salmon, not Salomon. So important to know, considering they have two great talents you might be talking about for a while. And for the record, while I was doing some research, Gary Martin was 11th at the running lane championships, 1424. Salmon got the win in 14. Oh, three. All right. Shall we move on to the collegians? Bunch of college stuff to talk from talk about over the weekend. Do we start with Yared Nagoose not running NCAA's? Do we want to talk about Caitlin Tui looking incredible with her four oh six at ACC's the sprint action at SEC's and Big Twelves? Robert, what strikes your fancy? Let's talk about Caitlin Tui. The high school phenom. Let's, let's scratch that. She's not even the high school phenom. Do you guys realize how good she was in eighth grade? I saw this in the message board this week. At the 2016 New York State meet, you're allowed to run in as an eighth grader in New York. Caitlin Tooley was second. I'm going to tell you who was first and third. In third place was a woman by the name of Sage Herda. Have you ever heard of her, John? Yeah, pretty good. NCAA champion, professional runner with the On Athletics Club. Yeah, she ran 425. Caitlin ran 424 for 1500 in eighth grade. And the winner, I think you probably heard of this person, only in 11th grade, Sammy Watson, 422. Who's that, John? Also NCAA champion in the 800 meters and high school indoor record holder. And she was the high school indoor record holder in the 800 until Rasheen Willis broke it this year. So, yeah, she was pretty good as well. World junior champ, right? And oh, shit. <laughs> I forgot about that. And World, World Junior Youth. Champ. I think she won both, right? Yes. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, then. I, f- I honestly, wow. I forgot about that. Yeah, that should have been the first line in her resume. But maybe that's a good way to start because Sammy Watson's not exactly thriving as a professional right now. Caitlin Tui, star for a long time. People are wondering, is she going to be any good? You know, freshman year doesn't even make it to NCAAs on the track. Was pretty good in cross country. But this year, does even better in cross country and is now just, what, the NCAA runner up indoors, right? And then 
We'll see the double runner up indoors. Double runner up in the 3K and 5K. And now she's stepping down to the 1500 and she's running 406, which is the top time ever in the NCAA. So, Robert, I have two things for this. Like, first of all, I just, I didn't realize she could run the 1500 this well. I know you just said she ran 424 for 1500 when she was in high school, but eighth grade. Eighth grade, sorry. But. I always viewed her as sort of a longer distance athlete because she had so much success in cross country. And that's sort of been her MO in college to this point. So I was shocked when I saw how fast she won, she ran in this race, how definitively she won. Does I guess two questions for you, Robert. She's 20 years old. She's still running PRs. Does this mean she's made it? She's going to be a legitimate pro for the next decade? And maybe that's a little, too un, a little unfair there. But number two... Is she still a fifteen? You know, is she still a distance runner in your eyes, or do you think maybe the fifteen hundred is where her future lies? Well, I, I think this race was wonderful. I mean, I, I kind of I knew the ACCs were coming up. I was interested to see what she was going to do. But this is one of the fun things about the sports with so much going on. Like just kind of being surprised. Like I saw the clip. Not only was the time a huge PB, her PB was four twelve coming in, but she just looked magnificent on that last lap. So. Yeah, it's got me wondering what should she run? What will her best event be? I think it's easier to be relevant in the 1500 and the world level than it is the 5000 for an American. I would like to see her run the 1500 at NCAAs. Um, she could obviously double, but to me, you've got your whole life to try to move up if you want to. You're doing so well in the 1500. Only um, – Two women have ever the, the number two all time in the collegiate system is four hundred four ninety eight I think by by uh, Sinclair Johnson so she that's not that far off like let's try to run fast you know whatever when I watched this race I started thinking what's the analogy here John it reminded me of Jenny Simpson I Jenny Simpson was an Olympian she was one of the world's best steeplechasers right. And then she runs that 359 in the pre-classic. People are like, whoa, what's going on here? She's a 1,500-meter runner. Could that be the case with Caitlin Tui? I don't know. I mean, we, we probably got to pump the brakes a little bit because 406 is super good for college. But to be really relevant on the world scene, she's got another six or seven seconds to go, which isn't going to be easy. Um, we had the 403 from Elise Cran well, no, from um, – Sinclair Johnson? No, the high schooler, John. Oh, Alexa Ephraimson. Yeah, Alexa Ephraimson. Now, that wasn't at age 20. I think it's a real positive sign that she's doing it at age 20. I used to say I want to see you PR at 18. Now I say I want to see you PR at 19. Doing it at 20 is even better. Uh, you know, I, I just... What do I think she's going to be? I think she could make an Olympic team, probably in either event. Might actually be easier to make the Olympic team. Well, I was going to say 5,000, but... Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to read too far in the future, but I did say this. I really hope she doesn't go pro. And we're going to talk about people going pro and not Jared Negus, Christian Noble, etc. It's going to be a big theme in this podcast, but she probably didn't have big contract offers coming out of high school because she kind of stagnated at the end, but she's gone to NC State. Lori Hennis has done such an amazing job with her. She's enjoying it. She's running well. She's doing amazing and there's still a lot left to accomplish she's never won an ncaa title 
for sure. So let's see what she can do at the NCAA outdoors. Then she's never won NCAA cross, which is obviously a big one as good as she was. So you go back for that. So you end it through the fall of 2022. You might as well go back to me and do this, the track season next year. And then I would do another cross country season, the fall of 2023. If you're kicking ass and totally dominating, man, then you can go pro and you can skip the indoor season and focus on the 2024 Olympics. That's what I want her to do. Don't rush it. I think we're just getting way too caught up in the future plans. I mean, I guess that's my fault partially because I'm like, oh, does this mean she's going to be a pro for 10 years now? But I just think she should be focusing on, look, she can run anything. She can run the 15 NCAA. She can run the five. She can run both, whatever. Like college is a time for experimentation, right? That's what she should be doing in the distances. Do what she wants to, does, do what she wants to do in terms of events. She's going to be really good at any of them that she runs. Uh, I'm Look, if she does something ridiculous at NCAAs and wants to turn pro, fine. But I do tend to agree with you, Robert. I think she has more to accomplish at the NCAA level. She seems to be in a very good situation. I don't think she needs to rush turning professional at all. It would seem sensible to come back for next year. But, you know, just focus on the present. Everything's going pretty good right now. I don't think she needs to draw up any long-term plans at this point. Just... Stay with what's working at the moment uh, because it's definitely working. 406. Again, you said like, oh, she's got some work to do to come down to like sort of the world class or national class level. Well, she ran 406 in a conference meet, Robert, you know, out in front. I didn't see anyone close to her on that last lap. So you put her in a perfectly rabbited race, perfect conditions. She might already be a 404 person. But again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I just think what she's doing right now is pretty special. I mean, it's great to see John, but she's got a long way to go. Like this professional talk. Sure, she could. I mean, she's almost the best at the NCAs. I mean, she obviously was, was runner up at 3K, 5K indoors. But at the pro level, to be competitive, if I you might sneak a US team running, you know, four or something, you need to be sub four. You need to be sub 1440. So there's a lot to bite off there for her i hope she stays in college and i mean just the nc state staff has done a wonderful job i I, it's just great to see because a lot of these especially young girl phenoms they have a lull some never make it back i think some of the body changes are too much they're honestly not made out to be sort of professional runners but some could also be like how do you deal with that transition going from like having a girl's body to a woman's body. I don't know if, you know, kind of having her tough period during COVID helped made it a little bit easier, but it's it's just great to see all along. A lot of Caitlin Tooley fans out there. And, but uh, let's not get too carried away. Like 406 isn't the old 406. We got new shoes. Everybody's running fast. So I think, you know, Ginny Simpson ran 359 pre-super shoes back in the day. What? what like there, there's a lot more she can do at the NCAA level. And I think there's girls who can push her. If it comes to a stage where she just starts dominating everything, fine, let's do that. Last time I looked, she hasn't won an NCAA title yet. Yeah, I do think it's also a little unfair to compare anyone to Jenny Simpson in college, though, because Jenny Simpson is the greatest miler in the history of the country. So like saying, oh, you know, she's, got, she's a long way from Jenny Simpson. Like every woman in American distance running in the mile is a long way from what Jenny Simpson accomplished. You know, world champion, three more global medals. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty high bar to clear. But yeah, all right. 
So enough on Tui. No, 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 no. No, all right. All one, right. I want to teach somebody here. There's a lot of sparring coaches on here. You guys know why she chose to go to NC State? I think she liked the team culture there, right? She had a good recruiting visit. Nah, John. You, most people don't even realize this. This is something I realize. This is a nugget of wisdom you only get from myself. I didn't even invent this, though. I've got to give my credit out to my boss, Cornell Nathan Taylor. John, what color sweatshirt am I wearing right now? Red. And white. What color is NC State? Red and white. What color was Caitlin Tuohy's high school team? Red and white. There you go, folks. It's an athlete is much more likely to commit to the high school color to a college that has the same colors as their high school. It's a verifiable fact. It's much higher. So there was, you know, it, just, it was lucky for NC State at some level. I mean, maybe sure they she liked Coach Hennis. But just look it out there, folks. You'll notice it a lot. People going to the same color as their high school mascot. So should Stanford sort of change its cardinal red to more of a traditional red to get more recruits? Might be worth it. Might be worth it. All right. Well, I'm confused then. Why did why are the Salmons that why do they keep going? Why is everyone from Newbury Park, Colin Salmon, Nico Young, they went to NAU, they're blue and yellow, but New Park is yellow and black. Shouldn't they be going to the University of Iowa? John, it's not 100%. I'm just saying like it might up your odds by like 10% or 20%. It's kind of like COVID. It doesn't actually prevent your chances of death. It just lowers your chances of death. COVID, I think you mean a vaccine there or something, right, Robert? What, I don't know what you're trying to say. COVID prevents chances of death? I don't know what point you're making. The vaccine, John, the vaccine. Well, it's been a while since we had any COVID talk on the podcast. And let's keep it that way. All right. Moving on. Should Wait, we go to Yara de Goose here, Robert? Or not do quite. you have more takes on Caitlin Tui? Because I think it's we're kind Caitlin of exhausting Tui. the supply here. No, I just would point out, there's an interesting thing on the message where some people were sort of, I don't know, mocking, but they're asking why Natalie Cook, the other high school star, has turned 19 this week. Hey, our best friend in high school turned 19 in May of his... Junior, senior year of high school. Yes, she's over her age, but oh, this puts a this puts an asterisk on her high school accomplishments. And I joked, I said, "Hey, it makes it even better to me because we see so many high, c- c- girls at this age struggle. So the fact that she's actually older to me is a better sign that Natalie Cook is going to be good in college, and not a flash in the pan." So, congrats to Natalie Cook for turning nineteen. Let's turn it into a positive of a negative. Who cares if she's like two months old? older than another high school kid like she's barely older than i was in high school like well she's not two months older though she's like she's over a year older than some of the people well then like when's her birthday look, she's it's in may may of it's in may so she turns 19 in may yes any the, could any kid born three months after her is going to be in her grade so let, let's not make a big deal about it okay yeah we already had this discussion on the podcast a few weeks ago anyway so, and she's not hardly alone. Like Noah Lyles, he was old for his grade as well. You know, it happens every so often. Uh, so shall we go from one star miler in the ACC to another? Yard Nagoose, he did not run ACCs. He was not entered in the 1500. They tried to enter him in the 5K to give him a little bit more time to get ready because he injured his hamstring at the sound running meet. That didn't work out. So he didn't end up running any events there, which means that he will be not compete. He will not be competing at the 
2022 NCAA Outdoor Championships. And because you can explain why he, even though he ran 3:39 two weeks ago, that time at the Sound Running Meet did not count for NCAA qualifying purposes because they require you to have 10 events of each gender, and they only had eight men's events or something like that. So some technicality, he doesn't have an NCAA qualifying time. Yeah, it's a ridiculous rule, but it is a rule, and he won't be running. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's for the best for him because if his focus is to make USA's, he's not healthy enough to run ACC's right now. Trying to rush back for NCAA's, maybe his best option is just to make sure he's ready to go for USA's. I'm I'm not sure where he's at. I mean, we'll see. Um, if he can get ready, he's got a little under six weeks to get ready for the U.S. Championships. He also doesn't have the World Championship standard, which could be a problem. But I guess the one good news, the one good piece of news for Yard Nagus is there aren't a ton of U.S. milers really setting the world on fire at the moment. I mean, we know Cole Hawker and Cooper I guess they've both been running pretty well, but that third spot, as I see it, is still fairly open. Maybe Centro shows up and he takes it. I don't know. That, I'm trying to find the silver lining here, but we had an interesting discussion this week's week that was about Yara Nagus and his whether he should have turned pro last year or not. Robert, do you want to talk about that? Well, before we get there, yeah. So he made the Olympic team last year. He could have gone pro. He comes back to to Notre Dame. The question I have is, first of all, is he done with NCAA? Like, does he have any eligibility left, or is this it, John? I think he, I don't. I think the fact that he did not race for Notre Dame this year, he might have like a sixth year of outdoor track if he wants it. But I don't really understand why he would come back next year. I think he. It's time for him to turn pro. Yeah. I, I would be very surprised if he doesn't. So this got to the interesting discussion of when to go pro. And again, this is the common theme of the podcast today. So a lot of people thought, oh my God, he's lost so much money because he comes back and I, he was getting criticized in the message board for this. I, I should have gone on there and be like, we're criticizing a guy for wanting to come back to college to get his master's degree and run with his best friends and try to win a national championship across country. No, that should be praised. I, I mean, we said it best of the week that was. There's nothing like being on a college cross-country team. You can't imitate that in the pros. It's special. And to have a chance to win a title, to have built this up from the ground to win it, unless you're getting ridiculous money, which he was not getting because all the money was going to the the, the, the four or $500,000 a year was going to the Cooper Tiers. I mean, the Cole Hawkers and the Hobbs Kesslers of the world. He was getting the third best money out there. So he doesn't get a sick offer. He's like, I deserve more than that. I'm going to go back to college. Doesn't go well in cross-country. Comes back, gets the 3K record indoors, and then gets hurt again, doesn't do well in NCAs, and has a complete washout of an outdoor season. So you're like, wow, he's lost a lot of money. John picks up the phone, calls an agent. Agent says, yes, he's lost a significant amount of money. Does that mean it's a bad decision? I would still argue no. I understand you can't judge things after the fact. If you only judge it on money, yes, it's a bad decision. To me, it's not all about money. But I picked up a phone, called an agent. Agent kind of agreed with what I was saying. And I, I asked it open-ended. I didn't say, oh, do you agree with me? Agent said, I don't think he's lost a lot of money. He's still going to get paid. He's a talent. There's a lot of teams out there. There's Puma. There's New Balance. There's... On. There's Pete Julian's yes. team. Bauman. If you still want to go to Bauman. Yeah. And... Wait, you guys named teams and you didn't name Nike first? Come on, guys. Like, please. 
That's where hey, the money. That was Robert. Hey, I, Brooks Beast. We need to give Brooks Beast a shout out there. Nike sets the money. Robert starts with New Balance, who I don't think I can't name a single distance male distance runner they have right now in the United States. Well, they might we'll have one that in, a minute. in a minute, but besides that, and then Puma, who just started a group, and then he goes to On. Okay, On's making inroads, but come on. I'm just saying there's a lot of teams desperate to tr- try to establish themselves. That was the point. And they said, this this agent's like, look, he's going to get a nice contract. He's like, I don't think he helped himself, but I don't think he's really gone down significantly. The other agent told Johnny, he's like, look, I think one of these teams that was interested is no longer interested. But the agent that I talked to made a good point. He's like, Does anyone, do you remember what happened like back in the day? And I said, what? He's like, Jenny Simpson, ring a bell, runs 359, doesn't go pro, comes back for cross country, completely bombs in cross country. And then New Balance decides they want to spend a lot of money on attractive women and running. And he's like, she made way more money than if she'd gone pro initially. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I guess there's a, some people, one agent says he did lose money. Another agent says no. I mean, he lost the money they didn't get from last year, definitely. But I hope he gets paid. This other the agent I talked to also thought the fact that Nagus is of Ethiopian descent helps him. He's like, look, these these teams are looking for a diversity. Do you want to have an all white distance team, or do you want to have someone who's, you know, you want to have a more diverse team? Plus, it's not like you're having to go get someone from Kenya or Ethiopia whose English isn't as good as someone who's born and raised in this country. Yeah, I mean, Robert, I think I kind of agree with you, like coming back, if that's what you wanted to do, and there are tons of valid reasons for coming back, like you said, trying to win NCAA Cross. Remember, they were second in 2020, the meet that was in March 2021, among the favorites for this year. If he was healthy I, this spring, like that's the problem here is he, he got a few... Un- poorly timed injuries you know he was injured he was injured before the olympics uh which is unfortunate for him because he didn't get to run there and then he's injured again after he runs that 738 after he ran 738 i'm like oh my god that's an incredible time it was a legendary record it stood since 2004 he's just going to clean up he's going to win a bunch he's going to win two ncaa titles indoors he's going to win another one outdoors his value is probably going to be higher than it was a year ago that's what we were thinking as of February. And now we're just saying, oh, suddenly it was a bad decision for him not to go pro because he got hurt the last couple of months. I mean, I think that's a bit unfair. So yeah, looking if all you care about is money, and he probably would have made more money if he turned pro last year, but I don't think he should be ripped for coming back to Notre Dame. Again, college distance running is a special, appearance, a special part of your life, special time in your life. He clearly has a great connection with his teammates. Um, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see him at his best this year, but I think he'll—he's still a big talent, and he's still going to get. I expect, you know, maybe it won't be what he got last year, but he'll still get a nice contract out of it. I would think. True or false? He did set an NCAA record this year. True. Okay, well, I think we're getting like, oh wow, he didn't win any NCAA titles this year. A little too close into it. He's still a very good runner. He ran really well for part of this year. Injuries are part of the game. He got injured last year at the Olympics. So that's why he's not an Olympian. So he'll be fine. I mean, obviously, you don't, your earning potential is limited in how many years. you. So not making the money last year for at least six months of the year, you know, sort of factors in the equation. But 
I don't think people are ripping him. They're just saying like financially, he probably should have gone pro last year, which. Like he already has a nice long-term plan here. He's going to have two degrees from Notre Dame. He wants to go and become a dentist once his running career is over. Like I'm guessing like getting a ton of money last year probably wasn't the very first thing in his mind. You know, it's, did he get his dental degree this year? I don't think so. I think that takes more. That's more than a one-year master's program. But he already has a plan in time, and he's he's probably thinking, well, maybe taking this one master's. Pro- Actually, I, I'm not gonna. I can't speak to like his specific decision making. But he has a long term in place plan in place already. I'm in the extra year in college now might make sense, John. Like, if you, if you got more schooling, you need to get done. Right. Do it now. When you're very limited, you know, whatever. When you can get the athletic department to pay for it, yes. Exactly. Okay. I've, there's, I have another trivia question besides my true or false that John got correct about your goose. I was at that race, so I'm glad I got the answer right. <laughs> it's another question about the ACC champ from the ACC championships. Are you guys familiar with Dylan Jacobs? Yeah, he's Notre Dame teammate, won the ACC 5K title, 2017 Foot Locker champion. Another high school national champion. Like, did you guys see what he ran at the ACC meet? I did, he sir. He ran 1323. Like, that's freaking fast. You guys just drop 1323s at conference meets these days? Like, I mean, it's crazy how fast people run now. I mean, like, nobody freaked out, nobody did anything. An American runner went out and ran a 1323 this conference meet. No one even notices or shrugs. Phil Locker finalist. I mean, champion for all of that. It's crazy. I mean, it is, but also I watched the NCAA 5K last year where 1327 gets you 12th place. I mean, well then, I'm looking at the results right now. Dylan Jacobs in last year's NCAA 5000 final ran 1325 and he got 11th place. So it's just a different era and you've got to kind of like 13 running 1323 to win your conference meet might be the same as running 1333 10 years ago it's look it's still impressive no doubt like he's a big talent but yeah i saw i was like that's really fast but i'm like well this is a new era you got to kind of recalculate the times okay here's my trivia question true or false dylan jacobs has scored at the ncaa beat individually i think that's true he scored indoors right that would be false john was ninth place, thirteen thirty one. True or false? Thirteen twenty three is Dylan Jacobs PR. That's false. He's run thirteen fourteen. Yeah, he went. That's a, just a word of point. A U.S. collegiate ran thirteen fourteen indoors this year and didn't score at the NCAA meet. I mean, people would have flipped out a couple years ago. Okay, maybe super shoes make I don't know how much of a difference. Ten seconds or more. It's still just crazy how fast these guys are running. And it just shows also, like, you, we always focus on the high school phenoms on the women's side who don't necessarily pan out. And I think the body changes that are for a man are very different and not as abrupt. But Dylan's st- stuck with it, you know? He gradually progressed at Notre Dame, and now he's running 1323. Josh Methner, podcast listener, former podcast guest. He's also a Foot Locker champ. He's not, you know, he's running like I think 1340s now. Maybe he's run 1330. 
you're like, oh, wow, like he's not really doing much, but give him another year or two. He might be right down in there in the 1310s. So everybody needs to think. That's the thing with running, right? You got to keep progressing long term. Even if you're Caitlin Tooley running 406, that means nothing on the world stage. Absolutely nothing. Okay, that's a lot of time on the Notre Dame distance program. Robert, shall we continue our theme of turning pro early, that sort of thing, with this Christian Noble story, or do we want to talk about SECs and that great 1500? Let's go to the Christian Noble. Weldon's talking about 1320 people. Christian Noble, who goes to Lee University, has run 336.00 in 13.24. Came out last night on the message board that he has not entered in the NCAA Division II meet. We started speculating what was up. Did he get popped for drugs? Did he go pro? And it's been confirmed by yours truly that the message board post is correct. He's going to sign what he has or is going to sign with New Balance. So I guess, folks, New Balance has actually signed an American man. This is the first ever that they've signed. Let's give him a round of applause. Drew Piazza. They have Drew Piazza. Boris Berry, and they've had a few. Oh. But they, no, they, I'm trying to think. This might be their first like actual distance runner and not like 800 specialist. It's it's it is a very rare feat for New Balance to sign a male American distance runner. Might they make him wear a blonde wig to practice? Because you've got a lot of blondes on that team. Well, is he training with Mark Coogan? Are you sure about that? I'm not sure. The exact I'm not sure situation. where he's training, but. Anyways, there's a discussion on this on the message board, and we kind of had this discussion a few weeks ago when Wesley Kiptu went pro in the middle of the season. And I said, look, call me old-fashioned because I'm over 40. Call me biased because I used to be a college coach. I just don't like people being put in these predicaments, and I don't know who's to blame. Is it the shoe company or the agent? Who goes to somebody and says, hey, we need you to go, go pro in the middle of the season? I just don't like it. Like, where's the loyalty to your school? Like if someone asked me to go pro, um, two, if I've never won NCAA outdoor title, someone asked me to go pro two weeks for NCAAs, I'd be like, screw you. I, I want to win one for my school. I want to win one for my coach. We've been working for this forever and the money's going to be there in two weeks. I'm not really a fan of these things, but this is a little bit different. I mean, first of all, it's D2. I don't want to knock D2 versus D1. Maybe they don't care as much. He's 25. He's been in college for six years. And to be honest, when you run 336 flat, he's probably thinking about getting the world standard. So, Robert, if you're 25 and you're thinking of turning pro, why don't you think of turning pro this year? You better get your standards before USA. He's going to go to the D2 meet where I'll assume he'll just clean up on everybody. No offense. Well, I say that yet. He didn't win NCAA indoors, D2. So... He did his conference meet. As a coach, the, a lot of coaches care more about the conference meet than the national meet. The athletic directors, what have you, whatever, they don't care about the national meet. It depends on the school. But to be honest, some coaches are like, the national meet's gravy. You had somebody qualify. Now if that school can say, oh, hey, we got a guy make the world's team. But it's funny. I think him as a 5K runner. There's no chance he's making the 5K team. So he's run 336. Try to hit the standard and pray and hope he makes. Come on. It's highly unlikely, right? Unless this guy's a much better miler than we think he is. But look, if you're going to be a pro, you got to start thinking like a pro. I don't really have an issue with him turning pro. First of all, Robert, you're saying 
oh, it's either the agent or the shoe company that's forcing him to do this. Maybe he's 25 and he's wanted to turn pro for a while and now he thinks the time's, now he wants to do it. Like, I feel like we should get his perspective on this before you just sort of blame other people for it. Like, maybe this is something he wants to do. And then the other point I wanted to make here, Robert, is you're acting like, oh, there's no loyalty. Like, why aren't these guys going out and running for their schools? Like, he's give he's given plenty to Lee University. He's set national records, D2. He's won national titles indoors, albeit not outdoors. Like, he's given them plenty of exposure and notoriety. And he's not making money as a professional athlete because that's how it works in the NCAA. So, if again, until the NCAA expands that free market more, I don't really have much of a problem with athletes just saying, hey, I'm turning pro because as currently constituted, even with the NIL stuff, it's still pretty hard to get paid for what you're doing as a college athlete. (laughs) Because you're in college. Because... Okay, yeah, you get the, scho- the scholarship, right? But you don't—you can't win prize money, Robert. I mean, or appearance fees, that sort of stuff. Okay, let's just get rid of companies. If no one's going to make a profit of somebody, then we're not going to have any companies. I mean, I know this is college; that's to be a problem or anything. But if everybody gets paid exactly what they're worth, then there's no women's soccer team, there's no women's volleyball team, etc. Move on and move forth. Just look. This case is a little bit different, as was the Wesley Kepto case. But in general, I'm not a fan of this because. Well, we're just teaching young people, but I guess we've been doing it for the last 20 years. Take as life is about money. Take as much as you can. And that's all that matters. And you support this stuff. That's fine. Because like, look, we're seeing it in, 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 in the bowl games in the football. They don't play the bowl games. They go pro. Okay. Draw the line. Where do you draw the line, John? I don't think that's the lesson here though, Robert. He's 25. Once you establish yourself as a top 10 pick, once you establish yourself as a top 10 pick, why bother with the season? Just quit in the middle of the season and go to the NFL draft. I mean, some people might end up doing that, Robert, but they also some people also just like playing football games and they're going to continue doing it. I just think that there needs to be loyalty in society from both sides. Robert, loyalty to what? You don't even know what's going on. The more I think about it, he probably sat down with his coach. He's thinking about it. And they're like, what's left? And they're like, yeah, well, after college, you know, I make the world, I want to go pro. And then they're like, okay, they're mapping out the season. And then they realize, like, wait, the 5K is way hard. And he runs this 336 at Oregon, wins that meet. And they're like, okay, the 1500 is your chance. And they're like, okay, well, you need a good 1500 before Worlds. So his coach might have, his coach might have been the one to do it, actually. I get it. I'm fine with it in this case because D2, let's be honest, doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, in general, I think that there should be a contract. It should be very explicit. You're signing a scholarship to run for this university. In return for the free education, you're expected to do A, B, C, and D, which includes, you know, these. There's no way, I guess, to force you're them an to indentured do it. servant. You can't. You you. I guess maybe during the semester you can't leave or something like that. Put it in the contract. If you leave, you're paying it back. Whatever. You just sound like a Joe. What's like? Okay, boomer. No, it's it's like all right, Robert. All these people who turn pro after their freshman year at a big basketball school, like Kyrie Irving or Zion Williamson or Jason Tatum or anything like that. Like they're just 
what do you come on duke gets so much from them duke is making duke basketball makes a ton of money off of them they got basically nothing for it then they turn pro and then they should be they should be paying back their scholarships or stuff like that i just think it's ridiculous and simply athletes have been criminal the very best ones have been basically not paid at all for decades now they're finally starting to get some rights and you're saying no no, no we need to put more restrictions on them i just can't get behind that and I don't think it's going to cripple the sport if you're saying these athletes can turn pro when they want. If you say, okay, you can pay whatever you want and there's a total free market and, you know, in terms of John, getting athletes to come to your John. school, then you're talking about threatening the establishment of, like, the non-revenue sports. But if you're saying, hey, you can turn pro, I don't really have problem with athletes turning pro when they want. Look, the companies have dropped their end of the bargain. So it, there's a reason why everything is self-centered because the companies stopped being loyal to, their own, to, the, to, to, to the employee. So the employee is stopping athlete in return. It's the same thing in college. I get it. I'm just not a fan of it. I think that if you go to college, look, like kids, the NFL should let the kids go pro out of high school 100%. If they want to go pro out of high school, they can. If they go to college, I think there should be a minimum number of years that you go to college. Do you think what's going on this year where you have one year to college, then you're just a total free agent? The next year, that's good. The fans aren't going to like that. Why should I be a fan of the University of Texas basketball when I have a different quarterback every fall, spring, whatever? It's just not fun for the fans. Again, I think about it sometimes from a fan perspective. The fans are always screwed in these things, repeatedly. In every sport, no one gives a shit about the fans, period. Robert, there is a rule in football. You have, if you don't, you can't turn pro out of high school, and you have to stay three years. That's the current rule. You can't enter like the NFL draft until after your third year of college. What? So you want four years now? Like, can we just scrap this whole segment? You should be allowed to go pro out of high school. Well, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't. There shouldn't be eighteen-year-olds in the NFL. They'd get killed. Well, not killed, but they'd just get totally wrecked. They might, John. This is the worst segment of the podcast ever. I apologize to all the listeners. All right, we're moving on to something else here. Well, I want to talk about SECs because I was going into this race, I was expecting a slugfest in the men's 1500 final. And I watched a good, I watched pretty much all the finals from Saturday night of SECs. It's one of the best track meets in the world every year. And the you know usually the distance races aren't the big highlight, but... We had in the men's 1500, the NCAA record holder, Elliot Kipsang of Alabama, squaring off against the NCAA champion indoors in the mile, Mario Garcia-Romo of Ole Miss. And it didn't play out how I thought it would because, well, I thought Garcia-Romo would win, but I did not think he would stomp him uh, to the degree that he did. It was was not even close. Garcia-Romo kind of sat on Kipsang. Kipsang's a front runner and... Mario Garcia-Romo sat on him for the first couple laps, but then about halfway into the race, Garcia-Romo just takes the lead, puts the hammer down, and it's basically game over. Like, by by the bell, he was already starting to gap him, and then the last lap, it was a one-man race, and Garcia-Romo wins it 336.91, Kipsang 339.09 in second. I was just really impressed with how Garcia-Romo took control of this race, because normally, if you if you are going up against a front runner, you just sit on them for as long as possible and then you kick with like 100 to go or something. He's like, no, I actually feel pretty good right now and I'm just going to take off and did it on his home track. I, I was really impressed with by why, by how well he ran in this race. And not just how well he ran, but how he did it. Agreed, John. I, I figured Garcia Romo would sort of 
sit on him and kick with 200 to go. But he just took over, I think, 700, two laps to go and never looked back. Absolute destruction. It just comes back to time trialing and racing in 1500s are just completely different things. Let me just confirm here. Elliot Kip saying, yes. Uh, oh, no, he got one point at NCAA indoors. He did run the DMR. Actually, didn't score on that either. 409.34 for eighth place. So running 333 is different than beating the NCAA mile champion. I don't care what race it is. Garcia Ramos, great championship racer. One other race from the SEC meet on the distance side that I want to talk about. The men's 800 meters featuring Brandon Miller in the great state of Texas, where all great distance runners come from. The NCAA indoor champ. He'd pretty much been winning everything, right? I think he was last year's SEC outdoor champ. SEC indoor champ. And he's right there with 200 to go, and he gets smoked, fades to like, I should know this, fifth or sixth. It's pretty far back, actually. And we talked about a Jamaican runner, or a Jamaican native runner from high school is going to Dartmouth next year. John, what's his time? 147. Talked about him on last week's podcast. A different Jamaican, Navaski Anderson who had never broken 149 to this year. He'd run 146 before this race. Continues his tremendous breakout season. He wins it like 145.8. So Brandon Miller, I don't know. He was saying he was going to beat the world this year. You know, he, he wanted to win the world's, like the world title. Do you guys think he outkicked his coverage a bit? you think this is his momentary blip? Should we be worried about him? I don't know. Before I saw a replay of this race, I went back and watched it on YouTube TV. I kind of assumed maybe Brandon went out too hard and just rigged, but that's really not what happened. All the guys kind of went out together. Yeah, I don't think it's a blip because if you know through indoor season, everything was going great for Brandon Miller. He was winning everything, but then earlier this year, he got smacked around at the Tom Jones Memorial in Gainesville. That was when Moad Zahafi of Texas Tech ran 143 in that race. He won by like three seconds. And Navaski Anderson actually beat him in that race too. He beat Brandon Miller. He ran 146, Brandon Miller ran 147. So as I was watching SECs, I thought Miller was well positioned. He was right behind his teammate. And going into the final time, like, all right, this is where Miller takes over and shows his class. And that didn't happen. So yeah, I think something's up. He's clearly not in the same kind of form he was indoors. And... Maybe he can turn it around, but I'm six of this sisters conference meet. Yeah, you're damn right. I'm worried. He was fifth at the four to meet six here. I don't understand. I mean, I, I didn't know Brandon Miller was the future of U.S. running. I mean, doesn't he date all thing Mo? So he probably thinks everything's metal and he puts his mind to it. He's going to be the world champion. That happens when you're young. And then you realize no, a lot of it's genetic when you start getting beat. So I don't know. He just. And he's one of the greatest. Robert, the kid ran one. What did he run as a 15 year old, John? He ran like 149, right? I mean, last right. year as a true freshman in college, he was the NCAA runner-up behind a guy who was like five years older than him and ended up making the Olympics, and he ran 144. He is a big-time talent. Right. Brandon Miller, keep thinking big. Keep thinking big. I think it's hard 
especially when you're young, to keep performing at this level. You can peak too soon. Maybe that's already happened this year. I don't see him turning it around. I think generally sort of once you have a few sort of, for him, maybe it's a good sign, you know, that he can run 146, 147 in the meets before this. I'm like, oh, that's not great for him. But he'll be around, he'll be around trust me. Yeah, I agree with your take on that. Well done. I think we can't leave the SEC meet without at least, I mean, the, the sprint action was really good as always. And we actually had an interesting comparison the week that was because the Big 12 sprint action, now it was at elevation in Lubbock, but there were some really fast times out there as well. But we need to talk about what Britton Wilson did for the University of Arkansas. I mean, okay, may, maybe it's not I thought of like these crazy, tri- you know, this was a triple that she did in the span of two and a half hours. She ran 50.05 to win the 400, which is number three in the world this year. Then she came back and ran 53.75 to win the 400 hurdles, number one in the world this year. And then at the end of the meet, she splits 48.60 on Arkansas's 4x4, and that's the fastest recorded 400 split in NCAA history. So that's three world-class performances in the span of two and a half hours. I just thought that was one of the most phenomenal things I can remember seeing at an NCAA conference meet. It was nuts. I mean, the the four by four splits were crazy. What did you guys say? I think there were two other forty eights in the same race. Three, the fastest recorded four by split that you know, according to the coaches' association, they knew of going into the weekend was a thing Moe's 48.85 from NCAAs last year. And you have Wilson split 48.60, Abby Steiner of Kentucky split 48.78 on the third leg, and Cherokee Young of Texas A&M split 48.90 on the ankle leg. So you had three women from three different schools breaking 49 in the 4x4. Yeah, absolutely incredible. The collegiate times are just getting nuts, especially in the women's, more so on the women's side and the sprinting times. And I don't think we can say it's because of super shoes, right? Like, I thought there are super spikes out there for sprinters. Weren't we having this discussion a year or two ago? I feel like they do have them. They must be slightly better, right? I mean, but it's not... The, the shoe they wanted to come out with, they didn't allow. So if you know what's going on, email us podcast at letsrun.com. Yeah, I don't think it's just COVID training, which everyone loves to keep talking about. It's got to be something else. I think you're right, John. I will give a shout out too to Favor Ophelia in the she did the women's sprint double at SECs in the 100 and 200. She ran 10.93 into a headwind, and then 22.04 to win the 200. And then ace at the Big 12 meet, Julian Alfred of Texas ran 10.81. Sorry, 10.81 wind legal in the prelims there. And then out at the Sun Belt meet, Melissa Jefferson of Coastal Carolina ran 10.88. So we're looking at, you know, if the conditions are good, that's a fast straightaway in Eugene. You could have someone running 10.8 something and NCAA is not even making the podium. It's, it's going to be a really good meet for the sprints on the women's side at NCAAs. All right, anything else on the college scene? Or should we move on to what was perhaps... A shocking admission that seems to have flown under the radar by Asbel Kiprop. Should we talk about this tweet, guys? Well, can we let the boomer here 
in the collegiate talk. While you guys were talking about the SEC sprint action, I've been doing a little bit of research. Shame on you, Bill Gates. Shame on you, Mark Zuckerberg. You didn't fulfill your commitment to your college either. Okay, guys, like, I guess I'm okay with... I, I just feel like the commitment that people give, needs it needs to be clear. If you're 25 and you don't care about the NCAA D2 meet and the coach doesn't care and you want to chase the 1500 qualifier for Worlds, that's fine. But in general, let the guys go pro out of high school. I think college should be a minimum two-year commitment. And then I really am not a fan of, okay, skipping the bowl games is one thing. What if we skip? What if we just get five games in the season and quit or put up a good mark and just quit in the middle of the season? I don't like that. I'm not really sure if there's a way to stop it. It's hard, right? Kind of related. At the USATF multi-championships last weekend, Kyle Garland of Georgia crushed the NCAA record in the decathlon and made the world's team. You know who did not compete at the SEC meet the next week? Kyle Garland. So the coach... One that shows how how tough it is in the in the SEC beat is like his coach is like well, in individual events you probably aren't going to score that many points. I want you to focus on being the best athlete you can, going to worlds in the U.S. So that was cool. So the coach was thinking, I'm developing. I'm interested in the development of my student athletes, not necessarily the most points in the team. I committed to this kid when he came here. I will take care of you. I will make you the best athlete possible. Now, a lot of coaches also put the emphasis on the, on the team, but here he said, no, I don't need you to go, like, give me a few points. Who knows the SEC, how many points in individual events you'd get, if any. But, yeah, right? You're developing the student athlete. You're committing to them. It's like what, what, when I was in college, granted, this is Yale, no scholarships, but triple jump on our team skipped the conference meet, the HEPs, because exams were coming up or something, or it was during exam period. And the rest of the team, we were furious. We we're like, this kid, he can score points. And coach told me, he's like, look, obviously I want him to compete, but I told these kids, like, you're coming here. He came from one of the Caribbean islands. You know, you're going to go to Yale University. This is a life changing opportunity, you know. Education's the priority. Second is athletics. And the coach is like, like, so I can't criticize a kid who's going to put education first. All right. I'd like to move on to this Kiprop tweet. It's since been deleted. And I don't know how much stock we put into Asbel Kiprop tweets because he has tweeted a lot of, shall we say, interesting things over the years. But this was how it's worded. He says, drugs... I believe there's no performance-enhancing drug to run fast. This is just a scam. Give all humans EPO and let them run a 326 in the 1500. There's no doping, no need to lie. Now, I don't know if you guys want to pass this thing, but I see the words, give all humans EPO and let them run 326. Well, he's one of only a few humans to have run 326. He's also been banned for EPO. Does this mean after... Four years of proclaiming his innocence. His ban's now expired. He's able to compete. Does this mean... Is this an admission? Or is this just uh, incoherent rambling on Twitter? I don't think it's an admission. First I read it, I was like, oh, he's admitting it. But I'm like, no. 
he could be under the Renato Canivo theory of you can't improve perfection. Like, uh, he's got a point in the sense of if you gave all humans EPO, very few of them would run 326. That doesn't mean, though, that EPO doesn't help. But Renato Canova's theory is you can't be better than 100%, kind of like drugs don't help the very best in the world. I'm not sure if that's true. I think it still does help them. But do I personally believe that Asbel Kiprop is one of the more talented human beings in the history of the world at the 1500 meters without drugs? Yes, I do. Do I, I, are there some people screaming at their iPhone right now or their, however they're listening to this? Cause I just said that. Yes, they are. He's a cheat. He cheated. Probably did help him. Also probably helped him be at the top without having to train very hard. Yeah. Bro, I don't think, I think most you're not giving our listeners enough credit here, Robert. I don't think there are many listeners who would disagree and say Asbel Kiprop is incredibly talented, probably one of the greatest talents in the history of the event. But they would also say, I mean, this is a man who won, quote unquote, won the Olympics at age 19 in 2008. Now, granted, he was awarded that after Rashid Ramsey was stripped for doping, and then Kiprop subsequently tested positive for EPO. So, how much, you know, we don't. He tested positive for EPO 10 years later. So how much stock you want to put into it? But I think most people can admit he's also he's very talented. Most people can also admit he was banned for EPO. Maybe he saw what Ramsey did in that race. <laughs> Thought, whoa, there's a whole other level out there. But John, I think some people would object. They'll say, oh, he's doping his whole career. That's what made him good. But if that's the case, then everyone's not on drugs because not everybody's running 326. So it works both ways. I don't know. But, well, Weldon, I would say, I would put it this way. There are only three humans in history who have run 326. And there are way more than three humans who have taken EPO. So even if he was on EPO, he's faster than pretty much almost everyone who's taken EPO, depending on what you think of the two guys ahead of him on the all-time list. Maybe he's the fastest guy who never took EPO, who did take EPO. But... He's faster than almost everyone who's taken EPO, right? Yeah. We need we need to hear phone callers or something. Call 1-844-LET'S-RUN. I want to know, like, some of the guys who, like, everyone's on drugs. You really think everyone's on drugs? Like, I don't know who's run f- fast. Uh, you think Josh Kerr of the Brooks Beast is doping, and that's how he ran 329 last year at the Olympics? Give us a call. I just, I, just, I don't know. Uh... I know I competed clean, and I was a hack of a runner, and I would like to think I could have run 27 mid, pre-super shoes. Can somebody run 26 low in the world? Yes. If I could run that, hell yeah. I was just a, I was a number two runner in my high school team. It's possible. So I, I, I just I know there's some, there's some clean athletes out there. All right, guys, before we wrap this podcast, I want to talk. We do have a track meet to discuss. We have the Birmingham Diamond League on Saturday, but we'll cover that on our Supporters Club podcast, the Friday 15. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe to sign up for our Supporters Club and you get access to all of our Friday podcasts. We'll preview that then, but there's another meet before that, the USATF Distance Classic. Now, 
This is the meet formerly known as Oxy, but it's no longer being held at Occidental College. So it's now just the USATF Distance Classic. They're having it at Mount Sac on Thursday. And there are some interesting names entered in these races. Couple things. So first of all, men's 800. Here's the who we've got in this one. Isaiah Harris, Brandon McBride, Craig Engels, Brandon Kidder, Cooper Tier, Devin Dixon, and Colin Solomon. So obviously there's going to be people wondering how fast Colin Solomon runs here. But I was interested to see Isaiah Harris's name because the last time we saw Isaiah Harris, he was heroically, you know, going Greg Jennings on the 4x4 at World Indoors, trying to get the baton around after very clearly suffering a serious injury in that in the heats there. And I reached out to his coach, Danny Mackey, because I was like, you know, that was only... That was less than two months ago. That was March 20th. It's now May 17th, and he's entered in this meet. So I was like, what What's what happened here? And Danny said he tore his hamstring in that race, and he missed a bunch of training, but they had a great physio, Sarah Bear, uh, a good doctor, Ashwin Rao, and really helped him with his recovery. He said Isaiah was a badass with it, doing little things every single day since March 20th. Some of the workouts... We're walking up a small grade on a treadmill with the old elderly folks at the gym at 10 a.m. And the guy did it. No questions. So Danny was basically saying he thinks most athletes would be out for the outdoor season with this sort of injury. And Isaiah is running like two months later. They think he's ready to race. I'm really interested. I hope there's no recurrence or anything. I hope he's like, if he's out there, he's healthy, he's ready to go. But he is one of the best 800 runners in the country won a Diamond League last year. I, I'm very eager to see what he does in his outdoor opener. But are you guys sh- as shocked as I am to see him on the start list? Because he, he looked seriously injured at World Indoors. And torn hamstring, that is a serious injury. He didn't look that injured to me because he ran around the track. But yeah, am I surprised that he's running 800 meter two months later? Absolutely. So it's a cool story. I just looked it up, John. The way you read those entries off, you made it sound like all these guys are going to be in the same heat. There's no way Cooper Tier or Colin Solomon are going to be in the top heat. Well, I tried to read off the interesting names. They haven't done the heat assignments yet. But always for me, John. Well, not always because I'm into the men's steeple, but the men's 1500, I'm more interested in. Cole Hawker, Hobbs Kessler, I'm more interested in what's Hobbs Kessler going to do. Because... Last year, sort of taking on the pros for the first time, that's where he first came of age. Does he better that performance here? Is he more close to that performance? And you got Lex, Lex Young. So what can one of these Newberry Park stars do racing the pros? I mean, to me, that's the, the race of the night. And then, well, anytime Evan, Evan Jager runs a steeple, I'm fascinated. I, I still... I think now might be a pipe dream, but dream of seeing the old Evan Jager. We'll get to the steeple in the minute in a minute because I think that's the race I'm most interested in. But this fifteen hundred is going to be good because yeah, you got Cole Hawker, Colby Alexander, Henry Wynn, the Quality American Milers, Vincent Ciardi has been running well, Mohamed and Neil Gurley, top international athletes. But yeah, Hobbs Kessler, this is going to be a big test. Okay, he got beat in his opener by Ben Flanagan, but that was cold. It was in Ohio. Nick Willis wasn't said he, you know, based on training, he wasn't expecting that much anyway. But we're getting to the point now where less than six weeks to go until USA's. These are some of the guys he's going to be competing at against at USA's. Is he anywhere close to them? 
Is he well off the pace? This is a test. I'm going to be taking away some stuff from the outcome in terms of you know, what are his chances to contend for a t- spot in the team this year. This is a significant test for Cole Hawker. At first, for Hobbs Kessler. And then in the steeple, you've got pretty much all the big players from the United States in this race, minus Hillary Bohr, who just ran the Doha Diamond League last week. But Evan Jager's there. Bernard Keita there. Dan Mahalski's there, fourth at the trials last year. Mason Furlick. So you've got two of the three Olympians. Robert's boy, Anthony Rotich. Stanley Cabene. And then internationally, you've got Matt Hughes, who was an Olympic finalist last year for Canada. And Avinash Sable of India, who was the world leader until Doha. So that's going to be a serious test for Evan Jager because these are the guys he's going to be contending against for a spot in the team. And if he gets smoked by them six weeks out, obviously that's going to be a blow to his chances. He didn't look all that great in his debut, but I think Jerry Schumacher is probably going to let the reins off a little bit more. The race is going to go faster. So big test for him. I, I think I'm most excited to see how Jager stacks up against those guys. Uh, but the 1500 should be good as well. This is going to be a fun mate. We'll have a lot to talk about on Friday. I think we'll spend most of our time analyzing this baby. I haven't mentioned the women. I'm sure people are upset about the inherent subtle sexism. But these fields just aren't quite as interesting as the men's. I mean, women's 5,000 only has one, two, three, four, five, seven people in it. Men's 5,000 has about 21, including two per tier. But some good mid-distance action. I mean, women's 800 has four sub-two women. Hannah Green, Madeline Kelly, Sinclair Johnson, Sabrina Sutherland. And then the women's 1,500... Is Constance Kostrov in the German record holder, John? Pretty sure she is, right? Uh, there could be a doped-up German that we're not aware of. Actually, uh, I'm almost sure probably more you think about it. But she's in there with the Japanese record holder. I wish I could. Maybe I should fly out there, John, because you know how I love to interview the obscure national record holders. Oh, def- when I saw Nozomi Tanaka's name on the entry list, I immediately thought of you. This was one of your favorite athletes of the entire Tokyo Olympics. So, well, the big name to me on the women's start list is Emma Coburn. She hasn't raced since the Olympics last year. She's in. She's not running the steeple. She's running the fifteen hundred. But that to me is big because you know she ended up canceling a season post the Olympics, and I think getting back into training just was a little tough for her. Um, she said at one point, I think her body hadn't really been responding the way it wanted to. Uh, now she's racing again. I'm just going to be curious to see how she fares. And then I believe she's in the steeple at the pre-classic. Well, John, I guess that just shows. I have no worries about Emma Coburn. I did not race since the Olympics. I mean, I guess we did see her coach and husband um, at the Boston Marathon. And he seemed to think, you know, indicate things were going well. But should we go there real quickly before we sign off? There are... We got to pull up and let's run. You know, already worried about Jenny Simpson, Matthew Sintrowitz, and Donovan Brazier. And Donovan Brazier. This was prompted after Donovan Brazier's 150 run at the Doha Diamond League meet. And I guess we're also not going to do it. This podcast has gone on too long. Our Doha recap was on the Friday 15. You need to join the supporters club today. Incredible meet. But Brazier went out. It's a tactical race. It was crazy windy. 
just he was in the back. I think it's hard to make up ground from the back, which maybe the more I think about it, having time to think about it, I give him some leeway there, but he just, he didn't look great. So the poll and let's run is like, are you worried about these people? The other two, Simpson and Centralwoods have not raced this year at all. The official result, 54% are worried about Donovan Brazier. So a lot of people have confidence in Brazier because he's done it recently. He ran all right indoors in the 400. 76% of people think Jenny Simpson's in trouble and 80% of people think Matthew Central is in trouble. This is just uninformed. I mean, <laughs> Jenny Simpson is done. She's 35. She was 10th at the trials. She should be leading the list here. She's not going to make the team in the 1500. I don't think she's even planning making the team. I'll call Bill Spaulding, her play-by-play -play partner for Drake Relays and see if, what her deal is. I'm sure he must have told her something. So... But Centrowitz, I mean, I'm worried, very worried about, but they've got the Brazier part, the right, because he was running fine indoors. It doesn't take very long for a hundred guy to get shape. It takes a lot longer for a 1500 person, but Jenny's old. Centrowitz is getting old, but we pointed this out on the last week's show. He often w opens up around Puri. I still think he can make the team, but <laughs> I would say Brazier's odds of making the team are by far the highest. Centrowitz pretty not too much slower. And then Jenny Simpson, I would say, are one-third of the others. If, I mean, I don't think she's even planning, trying to make well, the team. One, as we pointed out in the Friday 15, Brazier's on the team. He's a world champion. So that helps him for sure. Yeah, well, the interesting, it's degrees, right? With Brazier, I mean, in an absolute sense, I'm not as worried about him. But my also, my worry about Brazier is like, oh, I think he's going to be in trouble to make, to win the gold medal. Like, yeah. that's the standard I have, the expectation. I no longer have that expectation of Matthew Centrowitz or Jenny Simpson. For them, it's just making the team, you know? So you kind of have to grade them on a scale. But yeah, in terms of, like, making the team, obviously Braze is already in, on there, but I also just expect him to run better at USA's, even if he had, like, you know, a rough Diamond League opener. At least he's running. Centro, you know, we covered this last week, but yeah, I've judged him on his pre-classic race, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Jane Simpson, yeah, I'm, I'm very worried because, like you said, Robert, she didn't have a good, a great trials last year. She was only 10th. She's 35, and she hasn't raced at all this year, and I reached out to Jenny. I reached out, I tried reaching out to many of these stars who have been MIA this year. I reached out to Jenny Simpson, Colleen Quigley, Centrowitz uh, through his agent, and Emmanuel Correa, the Olympic champion in the 800 meters from Kenya, who also hasn't raced so far. I've heard back from none of them. So don't know what's going on with any of them. Like who knows if Jenny Simpson even has plans to race this year or if Colin Quigley does, they haven't really announced anything like that. Uh, Jenny, obviously she had some personal issues earlier this year. There was this horrible fire hit her hometown, did a lot of damage to her house so that was a whole issue she had to deal with. But in terms of running stuff, yeah, I, I don't know where she stands. I got a good theory. She's done. It's more elaborate than that. But people want to move on with their lives. She's, as we said earlier, she's taking classes at Harvard. She did the announcing. Maybe she is. Maybe she's decided that she's ready to hang him up. But as I said earlier in this podcast, she's the greatest mile in the history 
of the United States if she is still training at a no, high she's level? Not. And so you're saying Mary Decaslaney's better? No, I'm saying Matthew Sinchowitz or Jim Ryan is the greatest. Oh, all right, Milo female Indian. Robert, fine, female Milo. But anyway, and I think there, you know, there's she has more medals than she has more global outdoor medals than Matthew Sinchowitz, but she didn't win world indoors. That's a debate for a different podcast. But if she's like training her ass off right now and she's going to debut at pre or something, I'm not a hundred percent writing her off. I, I would I pick her to make the team? No, I no I wouldn't. But she's so good and so experienced. I'm not a hundred percent writing her off yet. But I'd like to know what she's what's going on because maybe she's not even planning on. Maybe she's going to move up to the roads because she ran the U.S. ten mile champs last year. Maybe she'll try to do some road racing this summer. So who, I don't know what her plans are. Yeah, my that's my uninformed. I know nothing of this prediction. Jenny Simpson will not race this year. Can we get an article, though? I want to become one of those. I'm really just become a boomer, an angry boomer. Like, can we get an article? Like, what do I ask you to try to figure out what, what uh, Emmanuel Career is up to as well, John? But can we get an article? Like, what are Jenny Simpson, Emmanuel Career, blah, 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 up to? And then put, we don't know, and they don't bother to care to tell you. Like, at some level, don't the fans deserve? Again, no one cares about the fans. Rojo's an angry man for having, from the fans having any right to know. We're supposed to, like, Love their Instagram posts and buy all their products when things are going well. But when they're not running, we're supposed to just bow down to them and let them no, have their privacy. No, no, that's a mischaracterization of my position. I think they do owe the fans a base level of explanation. I don't think that you need to know every single detail of their private lives. If RJ Wilson's struggling and she says, it's, I've been dealing with a personal matter and I prefer not to discuss it, that's fine. But if you are just active, if you're not providing any sort of information about what's going on, and I think that I think the fans deserve more than that. The fans deserve more than nothing in terms of like if you're not racing, it would be nice to give an explanation why. All right, I think we're done. I do want to say one thing because John and I, Kellogg and I, did a lot of research on this high school stuff, and I forgot to mention it. We went through the absolute best times, you know, Hobbs Kessler, Alan Webb, but. John's still not convinced that Jerry Lindgren's 842 mile on the 11 lap to the mile board track with no pace setter isn't the greatest performance in U.S. high school history. He also ran 1344 on a sender track, which John thinks has to be like a 1330 on a regular track. Also, Jerry Lindgren, you guys realize he tied Billy Mills at the 1964 Olympic trials in the 10,000 the same year that Billy Mills won the gold? I think we've talked about this on this podcast because he had some sort of foot injury going into Tokyo, right? Otherwise, he would have been contending for the gold medal as a high schooler. And then we didn't talk about cross-country, though. Where would you put Dathan Ritzenheim getting third at World Juniors? That's way, way up there. That's just like... Could you I mean, throw any of these guys against the best East Africans in a 1500 or a 5K or anything like that? Like... I don't think Lex Young is finishing third in the World Juniors in the fifty in the five k this year. Same with Colin Solomon in the fifteen hundred. I agree. It's really good. And of course, the real old timers are going to be upset that I didn't mention Eric Holtz and Tom Hunt going one two worlds in nineteen seventy five or nineteen seventy six. They were eight forty four and eight forty five two mowers back in the day, but there wasn't really African competition back then. 
All right. Big show on Friday. See you guys then. Podcast listeners, we've told you about this. You need to do it. Take your recovery to the next level with the TheraBody Recovery Air System. This is next level compression boots. The most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. The exclusive fast flush technology flushes out metabolic waste at up to three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles means faster recovery. And with the jet boots, those are the ones I have. Recovery is now wireless. The pump is built into the units. You don't have to be attached to the wall. You don't have to have a heavy external pump. They are amazing. Check them out now. Therabody.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes. You can start getting the recovery air system for as little as 59 bucks a month with the firm. And there's a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping. So no risk. If you're thinking about doing this, you got to try it out. Therabody.com slash let's run.